Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Egg Today. Coming up on today's program, the March canola contract continues to tumble. We'll hear from Adam Pacallo, the Commodity Futures Advisor with PI Financial in Winnipeg, as to the reasons why. Meanwhile, some shifts are occurring in the Saskatchewan farmland market. Tim Hammond of Hammond Realty says that after a decade of declining farmland for sale inventory, the past 12 months have seen a modest uptick in listings. We will hear from Tim Hammond on today's show. There were two guest speakers at the Stakes and Stems Producer Night in Yorkton Wednesday night. Yesterday, we heard from Chuck Penner of Leftfield Commodity Research in Winnipeg. Today, we hear from agribusiness specialist Brian Perilat of Bullseye. He'll talk about the livestock industry. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of SaskAg Today. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. And Phil, it's mainly sunny here in the Yorkton area and a pretty nice day heading into a long weekend. Yeah, looking very nice. Uh, the wind is the biggest concern. The good news on the wind is that it will drop off. But first, as a peak, it hasn't done so yet. Uh, likely during the middle part of the night tonight, it will peak 20 to 40, gusts 50, 60 kilometers per hour at times, though, through the night. The good news to the bad news is that the temperature comes up overnight. So as we hit that maximum wind, the temperature will be rising. It'll likely be warmer by the middle of the night than it is right now. Around minus 8 this afternoon, dropping off a few degrees, minus 9, minus 10 through the evening, holding steady and then rising up to minus 5 by tomorrow morning. In that wind from the west, 20 to 40, will gust higher. That means wind chill, even as we get into the mid-minus single numbers, wind chill still dropping uh, through the minus teens. So it's certainly going to feel cool in the morning with that biting wind. But over the course of the day, the strongest winds in the morning will still be there. They'll die down gradually over the course of the afternoon. It is a partly sunny day, and it is a mild day, making a pretty close run to the freezing mark tomorrow afternoon. By tomorrow night, light wind and the warmth of the day will start to recede. We'll be down to minus 14 Saturday night and back down to around minus 7 on Sunday. It's a brief warm-up in response to a very deep trough that's digging in. The trough itself is a very narrow trough that basically cuts right through the center of the U.S. all the way to the western parts of Texas. On the back side of that, there is a very narrow ridge, which is building all the way up into central Canada, and it lasts about as long on both sides. Texas warms up, we cool down, and everything sort of returns back to its normal position. And with that, a pretty quiet stretch of weather for Sunday, mostly sunny, minus 7. Monday, mostly sunny, minus 8. 
Back to work Tuesday, though. We'll have a few clouds coming in, even a few flurries, minus eight. However, trying to throw good news in on every point, bad timing with, with, with weekend, but at least as the week goes on, the temperatures will come up. We'll be uh, fluttering that freezing mark second half of the week. That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour. The Paw is at minus 11 degrees. Swan River and Dauphin minus 10. Brandon, Show Lake Russell minus 14. Roblin minus 13. Regina is at minus 12. Saskatoon, Broadview Mooseman, Indian Head minus 11. Hudson Bay minus 9. Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington minus 10. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky, a west wind at 28 kilometers an hour. 73 percent is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 10 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 19 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of minus 15 degrees and dropped to a low of minus 24 degrees. There was no precipitation recorded in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is minus 7 degrees. The normal low is minus 19 degrees. The sun rose in Yorkton at 8.01 this morning, and it will set at 6.07 tonight. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday. The Manitoba hot spot was Sprague at minus 8 degrees. The cold spot was Lynn Lake at minus 36 degrees. The Saskatchewan hot spot yesterday was Meadow Lake at minus 6 degrees. The cold spot was Key Lake at minus 42 degrees. And that's a look at your agriculture weather. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will return right after this. Welcome back to Saskag Today. The March canola contract continues to tumble. That's the obvious observation from Adam Pacallo, Commodity Futures Advisor with PI Financial. The trend has definitely continued for the March contract on canola, still lower. Uh, we're down approximately $10 a ton on the week, uh, where the futures currently sit at 577 And uh, we would actually be down a lot more potentially on the week. Today, we're, actually, we're up about $9 a ton uh, as we're talking here right now. So the contract does expire here in the next week and a half uh, and Monday is a holiday in US and Canada so markets will be closed so there might be some positioning ahead kind of uh, before the long weekend potentially yeah it def that definitely again the trend I would say is lower uh, the the soy markets still continue lower it seems like uh, the bearish hangover remains in place from the outlook forums uh, large 2024 2025 ending crops estimate for beans uh, which is the highest since 2019 season and more than 35 percent above 2023 2024 so uh, notably that actually that outlook forum carryout uh, has been above the final crop year carryout in 12 of the last 16 years. Um, but really, new crop beans kind of led the break uh, this week here as the USDA's acreage number came in, uh, about 3.9 million acres above last year. So uh, that could be a bit, again, bearish for on the canola side if uh, kind of the soybean market wants to kind of keep heading lower. 
The March Minneapolis wheat contract was also down this week. We talk a little bit about wheat here. We're down approximately 25 cents a bushel on the wheat uh, March Minneapolis contract. Uh, there has been uh, kind of rising Russian wheat crop estimates and, and really mostly favorable weather in wheat areas around the globe has, I think, really encouraged kind of still the downward trend here. Um, you know, again, prices are struggling under the weight of kind of the Russian wheat crop estimates. Um, and winter, U.S. winter wheat uh, is under drought, topped to about 12% this week compared to 57% uh, under drought a year ago. So again, crop conditions are, are fairly good that way as well, too. Uh, talking about the outlook for them, too, uh, you know, it, it was bearish for wheat as well with uh, potential U.S. ending stocks the highest since the 2020 season. So again, maybe a more of a, a bearish factor for, for the wheat markets as well. Pacallo was asked if he foresees anything that could turn the canola and wheat futures around or if we simply have to ride it out. Good question. You know, some clients have been asking whether they should maybe look at selling their canola and replacing it. So some have been doing that. Others have said that, you know, they're just holding it in the bin. Um, but the one common theme that I've heard across all uh, people I talk to is that there's still a lot of canola in the bin. And one would have to think that's eventually going to come to market. And again, next crop year is coming up again too. So, uh, you know, that's where farmers, I think, need to kind of look at, uh, you know, at their their bin space, their their profitable levels, and kind of work out some of the math from there. The current trend of canola and wheat is one thing Pacalo will keep an eye on, next week and short term as well too again with the march contracts expiring in the next little bit we might see some more volatility kind of over the next uh, couple weeks until until march adam piccolo is a commodity futures advisor with pi financial in winnipeg it's time now for the ag review portion of our program and that's a presentation of new era ag technologies in swan river Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. GX94, AgriView. A new report suggests manual labor and long hours may be less of a deterrent to farm workers than farmers think. The Canadian Agricultural Human Resource Council says workers tend to point to low pay and limited career growth as the main reasons they are less interested in agriculture jobs. The report, released yesterday, quantifies the current agricultural labor deficit drawing heavily on surveys done with employers and employees in 2023. The report notes that worker turnover is at a record high. In 2022, the voluntary turnover rate of agriculture jobs was 14 percent, up from 10 percent in 2018. When asked what factors limited their interest in agriculture, more than half of employees said low wages and benefits. Limited career paths or opportunities for advancement came second, followed by low job security. Meanwhile, that new report says by 2030, 
Canada's agriculture industry will have a domestic labour gap of more than 100,000 jobs. The report says the forecast represents a 15% increase compared with the number of jobs in 2023 that couldn't be filled by Canadian residents. The council says that this growing gap is due in part to Canada's aging population. More than 30% of the agriculture workforce is expected to retire over the same period. The report says temporary foreign workers will play an important role in narrowing the gap, with about four in five of those 100,000 jobs to be filled by a foreign worker. However, it says that even with a projected increase in temporary foreign workers by 2030, 22,000 positions will still remain vacant. The biofuels industry could drive canola demand into unheard of territory in the coming decade, according to one industry expert, Chris Vervait, the executive director of the Canadian Oilseed Processors Association, says the capacity of crush could grow from 11.3 million metric tons today to 18 million tons in three or four years. Vervait was among the speakers at this year's Crop Connect conference in Winnipeg Wednesday. His talk focused on the impact of renewable fuels on the canola value chain. Roughly 2.5 million metric tons of canola seed equivalent stocks are currently used for biofuel markets in Canada, the U.S. and the EU. Vervait says it could grow to 5 million by 2026 and could reach as high as 8 million by 2030. To meet that demand, seven new Canadian facilities have been announced over the last three years to bolster renewable diesel production capacity. Yields for United States soybeans, corn and wheat were projected to increase in 2024-25, according to the Department of Agriculture, at its 100th annual Outlook Forum yesterday. Also, the USDA said there's to be more soybean acres, but less for corn and wheat for the coming crop year. Markets farm analyst Bruce Burnett says yields are the big driver of this whole thing. The initial projections from the USDA were based on economic models, past data, weather patterns, and essentially the department's best estimate. The USDA is scheduled to issue its farmer survey-based projections for 2024-25 at the end of March. Burnett believes the overall effect of the Outlook Forms report was bearish. A new report says British Columbia's wine industry is anticipating catastrophic crop losses of up to 99% of typical grape production due to January's intense cold snap. A February report from wine growers British Columbia and consulting firm Cascadia Partners says preliminary industry estimates are calling for crops to produce only 1-3% to of typical yields for wine grapes, mostly coming from relatively mild Fraser Valley and Vancouver Island. The resulting loss in grape and wine production, described by the report as an almost complete write-off of the 2024 vintage, is expected to trigger revenue losses of up to $346 million for vineyards and wineries. The report says the Arctic intrusion that struck the province in January plunged temperatures well below minus 20 degrees Celsius across the Okanagan Valley, where 86% of BC's vineyard acreage is located. And Saskag today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. 
Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose Saskag today. And yes, it is free. And that's today's Ag Review. Please stay tuned. Saskag today will return right after these messages. Welcome back to Saskag today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's sunny and minus 10 in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. Some shifts are occurring in the Saskatchewan farmland market. Tim Hammond of Hammond Realty says that after a decade of declining farmland for sale inventory, the past 12 months have seen a modest uptick in listings. As well, there has been a decline in the number of offers on property for sale. Kevin Hirsch of SaskGagToday.com spoke with Tim Hammond. About January of last year, about a year ago, uh, we're starting to see more farms kind of come to uh, the market. And, uh, you know, and I, I think that's for a variety of reasons, um, but, but we're starting to see that kind of uh, tick up. You know, so buyers have got more options uh, to kind of look at. And uh, yeah, so it, it is creating more balanced, a more balanced uh, market, I would say, or market conditions, which, uh, you know, if you've been a buyer for the last five years, it's been totally steered in, in the other direction. So it's, uh, it, it is welcome, I think. So we should probably be clear, it is an uptick, but it's still not really at the levels of a few years ago, eh? That, that's correct, right? It, it appears as if the, the trend is reversing, but still it's just a fraction of where we were 10 years ago. So 10 years ago at this time of the year, we'd have like 850 farms uh, listed for sale. Right now, we're still under 300, but it's better than it was last year at, at 200. Do you see a shift in in the sentiment of people that invest in farmland, either uh, hold existing family holdings and rent them out, or actual investor or investor companies in farmland, or are they viewing the current situation a bit differently? Uh, yes, I, I do think like investors are sophisticated and and they do watch what's kind of going on, and uh, uh, I, I think they see an opportunity or maybe the time is right uh, to kind of capture, you know, a fair bit of capital gains over the last, you know, five years, 10 years, however long they've been in it. Uh, and they can park that capital, you know, in a pretty safe investment, make 5%, you know, whereas their, their farmland is, you know, maybe generating 3%, 3.5%. Uh, so it, it's uh, providing, you know, they're considering, you know, selling it uh, because the upside in the price is is a lot less than what it was probably two, three, five, ten years ago anyway. So, and same thing with retiring farmers, you know, like a third of the land in Saskatchewan is, is rented, while 80% of that is owned by farmers who are retired or, or you know, retired farm families. And, uh, you know, they were happy to kind of get the rent for the last 10 years, but the same thing applies now. If they sell, you know, they can uh, invest that money and probably make 5%, whereas, you know, continuing on with the lease is, you know, yeah, 3 3%. So you're seeing some, some shift, too, in, in when land is up for sale, how many offers you get on it? Yes, and even though demand is still super strong and uh, everybody's willing to pay, you know, top, top dollar uh, for the market, what we're finding is that there's fewer buyers. 
uh, in line to kind of get it, you know. And so even though the market is really strong, uh, the depth of the market is starting to soften a little bit. So um, so I, I find that interesting because I think it's a lead indicator that, you know, um, that, you know, not that land values are going to, you know, plummet or anything, but I think they could uh, trend sideways just with fewer buyers being in the market and land being priced higher than ever before. Have you seen some change in sentiment just since last harvest in areas that had good crops? Were they a little more gung-ho uh, at uh, the end of last year than they might be now? Yes, and, and that's what we noticed is like September, October, right right off the combine, uh, there, there was a fair bit of positive sentiment. And so, you know, the deals that we did at, at that time, they were up and they were probably up, you know, 10 to 15 percent, you know, kind of dependent on the area. So very strong. Uh, but since that point in time, I mean, commodity prices have come down and, you know, just, you know, overall sentiment has kind of softened up a bit. And even though the prices are still holding there, um, people aren't as excited about it, uh, holding them there. So do you, where do prices go from here? It's, it's pretty hard to predict a, a, a price drop, but will we see a slowing of the, the increases or slower increases than we might have seen in previous years? Yeah, that, that's what I'm. I'm kind of thinking, Kevin. And you know, the rest of this year, like it, uh, th- this selling season, I'll call it. You know, th- which really runs from October until April. I think there's good momentum. You know, what's on the market will sell. It will sell strong. You know, what we want to watch for is you know next October. And you know, what are commodity prices going to be then? What's the sentiment? Because if farmland values change, that's when they're going to change. Tim Hammond is founder and CEO of Hammond Realty. Livestock Market Conditions U.S. live cattle futures for April are trading at 187.57. That's up 197. June live cattle trading at 183.10, up 122. March feeder cattle trading at 251.42, up 432 April feeder cattle trading at 25355 up 332 April lean hogs trading at 8530 that's up 30 May lean hogs trading at 8905 up 20 and that's the livestock market conditions please stay tuned Saskag today will continue in 1 minute's time Welcome back to Saskag today. There were two guest speakers at the Steaks and Stems Producer Night in Yorkton Wednesday night. Yesterday we heard from Chuck Penner of Left Field Commodity Research in Winnipeg. Today we hear from agribusiness specialist Brian Paralat of Bullseye. He hails from Duck Lake, Saskatchewan, but calls Airdrie, Alberta home now. He talks about how intertwined the Canadian and American livestock industry has become. We have a very open border on trade and things, you know, very, pretty substitutable product. So, yeah, whatever the, you know, the U.S. produces 10 times the beef. So we certainly follow their trends uh, very closely, adjusted for basically the Canadian dollars part of that. I noticed you also talked about how we export a lot of cattle. Is that to the United States mainly? 
the live cattle would be almost almost all of them would be uh, to the United States. Beef is a little more diverse, but still 75, 80%, 75-ish would go to the U.S. And then again, Mexico, Japan, and uh, it's a, the beef side's a little more diverse, yeah. And I also thought it was interesting that we're actually importing a lot from the U.S. as well. Why is that? Uh, well, we, you know, again, we have very open borders. We actually uh, import a lot of beef as well from the U.S. and Canada. You know, interesting, er, and, and the cattle from the U.S. as well. If you actually look at the geography, you know, Alberta is a net exporter of beef. We're a lot actually closer to California than we are to Toronto. So Eastern Canada is a pretty large importer of beef. Uh, the cattle side's uh, a little different. We import those out of the into Western Canada. Just you know, our cow herd shrunk so much, and we've got you know a little bit more or had some extra capacity on the packing side. So we built some feedlots, and now we're bringing cattle up here to support the feedlot and packing sectors in Western Canada. So is the is the slaughter bin industry in Canada pretty good right now, especially in Western Canada? Yeah, it's been quite good. You know, they've had some good years. We'll be honest. They you know the packing sector. There's been a lot of cattle around, um, you know, more cattle and they've really had hook space. So that's kind of given them the, the leverage or the power on the market side to uh, able to yeah, manage manage the kill and throughput. And yeah, we've had good margins through that. They've certainly got tougher now as cattle numbers are going to tighten now too. You had alluded to the recent report about the U.S. cattle herd shrinking again as the latest numbers came out just a couple of weeks ago, I think it was. Uh, why is that? Why do you think the number is? still shrinking yeah you know that's the most bullish part of this whole market update you know two things one would be definitely weather related you know they they have a lot of grazing land in the united states and they've been just dry the last few years so they've uh they've struggled there they've also maybe struggled the cow calf sector on the profitability side you know not only drought they've seen their input costs increase dramatically um, and cattle prices have really only started to go up this year. So if we look through COVID, and the cow-calf sector was not making much money. So that combined with low uh, drought or dryness, uh, they they haven't expanded yet. We it looks like you know the the factors are in place to possibly see some expansion in the U.S. But they're really going to need Mother Nature to to cooperate there. You thought it might actually be lower again come next January first, or? Yeah, it, it, the overall cattle numbers, if we look at how few heifers they retained, and we're going to still process a lot of cattle, yeah, we probably could shrink another year yet. Even if they start to keep a few heifers back, the overall cattle numbers will still dwindle. We're going to have a very small calf crop in uh, 2024, so there will be less numbers at the end of the year. I know in the past we talked about how good the cattle prices have been, but of course costs have generally been high until, I guess, this year. It seems like uh, feed barley and corn coming up from the states has been pretty affordable I think for the most part yeah relatively speaking yeah when we had nine you know southern Alberta feedlots were paying nine dollars plus for barley and now you're closer to that six dollar range uh, that's been a big part of it for sure too uh, just yeah helps helps that that cost if they're selling the cattle for big money and it doesn't cost them as much to feed them out they can pay that much more to the cow calf producer I'm kind of amazed at how much corn has come up from the states considering the drought conditions there, but I guess they must have so 
some uh, corn left over if there's not as many cattle out there, right? Yeah, in the U.S., you know, they did have some dryness. They had a lot of acres last year. Their their bar, their corn crop was near record large. So they had challenges in areas, but it was more in the more moderate corn growing areas. So their main corn growing areas actually had a big crop. So yeah, they had a lot of a lot of grain and or a lot of corn. And some of the big line companies in southern Alberta, after they started importing through the drought, you know, the economics kind of made sense if they can load out grain and use that facility for bringing grain in and get more turnover they've they've brought corn in all year long which is kind of an anomaly but they continue to do it from a business standpoint for them and i know a lot of producers here were able to leave their cattle out in the in the pastures a little longer this fall and into the early parts of the winter i'm sure that was the same situation in alberta if they actually had any grass yeah yeah the, the, the mild weather's gone a long ways even guys stubble grazing uh, for sure it's made a uh, a big change you know it's helped the feed pile for sure significantly so uh yeah no that that part's good they still it's going to come down to spring rains and moisture and water to fill the watering holes on the on the ranch land is is going to be the big uh the big thing to see if we're going to really see cows or heifers being retained and bred uh, they need grass really I know when you were talking about whether guys should, you know, think about increasing their herds this year or not, one of the things you talked about was livestock price insurance. Uh, it sounds like it's actually dollar for dollar a pretty decent deal. Yeah, you know, you know the, the, the premiums are a little bit higher, but when we're talking $60 today on a calf, when we're insuring them for well over $2,000, uh, percentage-wise, it's, it's still a good deal. There's, or, you know, it's a something worth weighing on. Just, you're insuring, even net of premium, you're still insuring record high prices even after you pay the $60 for the insurance price. So, and you know, there's no guarantees in this cattle industry. It can turn on a on a dime. So you can lock in the optimism we have for the fall. You can lock it in today and sleep a little better. I know that in Alberta, there's going to be a pilot project on looking at how to make agri-stability better for cow-calf producers. Yeah, obviously, that's that's good news that they're trying to figure out a way to make it work better. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've, we've seen a little bit of a push from the governments or industry uh, groups on both agri-stability and crop insurance as well. You know, they've been working on better trying to improve forage insurance, grassland insurance, because, you know, our, one of our biggest competitors for grassland is the grain farmer. So... Uh, you know, trying to level that playing field a little bit and trying to find uh, forage insurance programs that are that work well uh, on top of the overall uh, farm management like agri-stability. I know you were doing some number crunching when it came to selling steers versus heifers, and I thought that was pretty interesting. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, where that was going? Yeah, yeah, the steer heifer, that's always kind of can be a pretty heated debate. Uh, we've seen over time as these heifers being more and more of a discount to steers and why is that and reality the biggest number one driver is if we look at the value at these prices of cattle today and uh, my example we're talking you know you finish a steer at 1500 pounds that's going to be 900 pounds on the rail and if you're getting paid like four dollars on the rail versus a, a heifer that's going to be maybe 1350 pounds and only dress out at 59.5%. You don't have nearly as many pounds in that heifer to sell. And my my example was over three, well over $300 difference in value of a finished steer versus a finished heifer today. And that's driving this spread between what a steer calf is worth relative to a heifer, in addition to 
poorer feed conversion. You know, it takes more feed to finish to put a pound of feed or put a pound of weight on the heifer. So between the, the extra value of a steer and they, they use feed more efficiently, that spreads change. And, you know, we're looking at over 50 cents or roughly 50 cents uh, of where heifers should be back. And, and part of my other, we've even seen it wider than that. So, you know, maybe it is advantageous to keep the heifers in this market, but just knowing those numbers and understanding why there is that spread. I know you'd mentioned earlier that uh, the U.S. and Mexico seem to be our largest customers for, for export of our beef. Uh, you also touched, though, on China. Is that kind of an emerging market? Well, China's been a hit and miss. Uh, you know, it, it's it's hard to predict. Uh, they've they've slowed down a little bit, um, and they've they've still some restrictions on getting into China. So, no, they've kind of exploded the last five seven years after going through some of their African swine fever, and uh, they've seen beef demand quite strong. So, I, depends how you, I guess considering ten years ago they were hardly on the map as a beef importer, and now are the biggest in the world. Yeah, they've they've definitely switched the, the beef trade flows globally in, in just a short, few short years, yeah. And what do you think of the whole controversy with uh, the United Kingdom and the fact that they're not taking our beef because of our hormones? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, you know, science and trade and politics all mixed into one there. And Unfortunately, uh, it's been a bit of a challenge and the whole CETA agreement we've struggled with from an industry perspective, we've seen their, their exports into Canada grow substantially and we've only seen small small gains there's a lot of a lot of red tape and non uh, tariff barriers that have have they've used to their advantage to restrict our import so it's been a challenge and, and disappointing in terms of the product we can have and some success we found in small channels but it's hard to grow it and to make it a critical size to really get product flowing over there due to all these restrictions but domestically speaking, uh, beef, I think, has probably been as strong as it ev ever has been here in Canada, even though it's probably the most expensive meat on the grocery store shelf, everybody's still buying it. Yeah, by far, beef demand's been phenomenal uh, the last few years through COVID, and, and uh, it's maybe eased off a little bit, but there's just not as much to consume. Demand is a combination of how much they're eating and what they're paying for it prices have gone up a lot so I mean, their consumptions got cut down a little bit more than relative to the price increase but is the number one protein expenditure at the grocery stores still by far beef uh, so no beef demands held quite strong and even through sort of the tough times we'll see they continue to buy beef they may go down from a steak but ground beef is sees extremely strong demand as a very uh, a simple and consistent and desired product by consumers. Yeah, you mentioned pork being the, the main competitor, I guess, and, and poultry to a lesser extent. Yeah. But beef beef continues to hold its own ground, I think. Yeah, yeah, I touched on, you know, we got to watch. Pork is cheap. Like, chicken prices have come up at the retail level to, you know, pork's pretty comparable. So, you know, I think the supply side, we're going to have less cattle, less beef around. Prices still be a little higher, but... It could be restricted if it just, it's at the, the, it's relatively, it's about as relatively high to pork as it's ever been. So we've kind of got to watch how much higher can beef go without getting some lift from the pork market. Uh, just something we got to, they could restrict the high side of the market. So. 
So overall, though, uh, it sounds like the beef industry, you're fairly optimistic about its future right now? Yeah, I, I think right now. You know, I, as, as I said, you know, the supply side is very strong. The supply fundamentals look to stronger prices. Demand is held up quite well. Uh, you know, we're going to have tighter cattle numbers for two or three or four years yet. And the export market, you know, despite our exports being down slightly last year in volume, simply because we didn't produce as much, the value set a new record, $5 billion of export value. That's doubled. The value of our exports have doubled in six, seven years. So that's phenomenal. And yeah, that all helps to a, a healthy beef industry. Brian Perilat is an agribusiness specialist with Bullseye. He was a guest speaker at the Steaks and Stems Producer Night in Yorkton on Wednesday night. Please stay tuned. Your Commodities Update is coming up next. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up across the board this hour. March canola trading at 575.90, up $8.90. May canola trading at 586.10, up $9.10. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 653.5, down 4.5 cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at 564 per bushel down 11 and three quarters of a cent. March Chicago wheat trading at 557 and three quarters down nine and a quarter cents. March corn trading at 415 and a half down two and a quarter cents. March soybeans trading at 1170 and a quarter up eight cents. March oats trading at 385 and three quarters up three and a half cents. And that's the Commodities Update. Please stay tuned. SaskAg Today will return right after this. Your source for everything that matters. GX94. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Falconer. U.S. grain producers are being told to prepare for a year of falling prices and tight margins. That was the message from Seth Meyer, the chief economist at the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Meyer told the USDA's 100th Agricultural Outlook Forum that corn prices are forecast to drop 8.3%, soybeans 11.5%, and wheat nearly 17%. Maybe that prices support soybeans a little bit more than corn, so maybe we move a little bit of area back into soybeans. Corn prices moving a little bit lower as well. Sorghum area is largely unchanged. Wheat, after responding to the global demand for wheat because of action in the Black Sea, farmers saying, okay, we'll move out of wheat, we responded. While prices are expected to fall, most farm expenses will not. We had some thought that maybe we'll see a little bit of easing of interest rates over time, but for many of the other lines in a crop budget, they tend to move and be sticky when commodity prices fall. Input prices for maybe things other than fertilizer, fuel oil, things like repairing your vehicle or your tractor, other things involved in the supply chain, those prices not coming down. The USDA is forecasting farmers will plant 91 million acres of corn this spring, down 3.6 million. Soybean area is forecast to grow 3.9 million to 87.5 million acres. U.S. wheat area is being estimated at 47 million acres in 2024, down 2.6 million from last year. The big competition for corn and soybean export markets will continue to come from South America. 
The three largest producers, Brazil, Argentina, and Paraguay, grew more than 200 million metric tons of soybeans last year, more than double the amount 25 years ago. Export competition is only likely to grow. We need to be both export competitive and have a domestic market where we can sell our goods into. And as many different ways we can sell it, whether that's traditional grain sales or whether that's a bioeconomy product, we need to have markets domestically as well too in order to do that. On the demand side, China is cutting back on its soybean purchases. Who's going to pick up that demand as we get an additional 6 million metric tons a year from Brazil, 2 million metric tons from Argentina? They're going to continue to grow. We have a challenge here in terms of how are we going to meet export demand. U.S. soybean producers are relying more on the domestic market, which has been booming due to renewable diesel demand. However, Meyer points out that soybean share of the biodiesel renewable diesel feedstock is falling due to huge imports of products such as canola oil, used cooking oil, and tallow. U.S. farm income hit a high in 2022 before dropping off 26% last year. A panel of three financial experts is predicting another downturn in U.S. farm income this year. However, at this point, a lot of American farmers are still in a good financial position. Nate Kaufman is the senior vice president at the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. Much of this has to do with storing up working capital during these past couple of years when incomes were very strong. Some of this had to do with government payments going back to 2020 and 2021. We interact a lot with bankers and other lenders, and in some of our conversations with bankers last year, we would have banks tell us that they actually do not have any borrowers on a watch list. That's not common to have no borrowers on a watch list as it relates to potential risk. Kaufman says if U.S. farm income declines in the next two years, the U.S. agriculture sector will be in a situation like 2016 through 2019. It's now 1 o'clock, time to check the GX94 precision weather forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Partly sunny skies, winds west at 20 to 30, and a high of minus 8 degrees. For tonight, partly cloudy, winds west at 20 to 35 a low of minus 10, then rising to minus 5. For tomorrow, partly sunny. Winds west-northwest at 20 to 35, a high of minus 1, an overnight low of minus 14. For Sunday, mainly sunny. Winds east-southeast at 10 to 20, a high of minus 7. Monday, partly sunny, a high of minus 8, and Tuesday mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of flurries, also a high of minus 8. In the Paw, it's minus 11 degrees, Swan River and Dauphin minus 10, Brandon, Show Lake Russell minus 14, Roblin minus 13. Regina is at minus 12, Saskatoon, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head minus 11, Hudson Bay, minus 9. Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, minus 10. The Yorkton, Melville region has a sunny sky, a west wind at 28 kilometers an hour. 73% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 10 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 19 degrees.
That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for SaskAg today for today. Be sure to tune in again on Tuesday at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.